We try to be really authentic here at Crossroads, right? So I'm just going to start up front by uh, sharing with you guys, and for those of you guys who have known me for a little bit, this is not going to be a surprise, um, I have some control issues. I know, I know, I know shocking, right? Um, so I, uh, I saw this, and it kind of made me think about my, my control issues. <laughs> right? Anybody relate? Anybody feel that? Oh, there, hands go up. Thank you. Thank you for not leaving me all by myself out there. Um, we're in this teaching series on uh, broken people, unbreakable grace. And today's character, Old Testament character, um, he's a really complicated guy. He's got some dizzying highs. He's got some embarrassing lows that his lows were kind of brought about by his control issues. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. I want to get us caught up, though. We're starting at the very beginning and we went through Adam and Eve, we went through Noah, that brought us up to Genesis chapter 9, and we see humanity um, rebuilding after um, after the flood, but we also see humanity up to their old tricks. They come up with this awesome new tech, right? They invent the brick. Thank you, Bill, for laughing at that. That was... Um, They invent the brick, and in line with God's creative mandate, they start to use it for other people's good. And then they get an idea, right? (gasps) Let's build a tower up to the heavens and make a name for ourselves. One source said that they were trying to unify themselves around the wrong name. Instead of unifying themselves and making much of the name of God, they were trying to make a name for themselves. So God had made a promise to Noah, right? That no more floods, he wouldn't do that. So instead, he scatters the people and confuses their language. That takes us to the end of Genesis chapter 11, where we see a genealogy, right? That long list of names and the begats and the names we can't pronounce. Going all the way back to Shem, one of Noah's three sons, all the way down from there is a guy named Abram, who also later on gets referred to as Abraham. And I'm going to try to keep those straight up until his name changes as we move along. But that is the Old Testament character that we are going to take a look at today. And like I said, he is a really complicated, complicated guy. Um, he, he was super obedient, right? God asked him to do something, and he did it. Uh, he was a liar. Um, he worshiped, and he, he told people about God. And he was also a judgy jerk. Um, he, uh, God put some really hard things in front of him. And he, he stepped up to them. But at the same time, his control issues would get the better of him. So what, and think about the New Testament, right? Abra, Abram, in the New Testament, Abraham is the only other person referenced more from the Old Testament, in the New Testament, is Moses than Abram. And he's listed as a hero of our faith. So what was it about him, right, that if he was complicated and had all these ups and downs, that made him a hero of our faith, made him, made him the father of the Israelite nation. And I think we find the answer in Genesis 15, chapter 6. So this whole, you guys, I would encourage you, we're going to cover from Genesis 12 through Genesis 25 today. Right? We're going to go really fast, but we're gonna, that's the, the text we're going to cover. So I would encourage you to take some time and read through that on your own. But I think this is what um, kind of allowed God to use Abram in such powerful, powerful ways. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited, he being God, credited to him, Abram, as righteousness. Now, that word believe is the Hebrew word amen, amen, where we get our 
Amen. Amen. It means to accept as certain. Before something happens, we're already accepting it as certain. Think about that for a second. The next time you close your prayer by saying amen. What I just prayed, I'm accepting as certain. Amen. That's pretty cool, right? All right. So um, we're going to jump in. Actually, the, um, what I want to do is jump in at the, at the beginning here. This is Genesis 12. And there's kind of three things that I'm going to point out to you today. Abraham, God called Abraham to go, to wait, and to give. To go, to wait, and to give. It may sound simple, but they were really, really hard. This, here we go. Chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went, his nephew, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. That was his, his home territory. God asked Abram to leave everything that he knew, everything that was comfortable, everything that was important to him, and he did it. He went, right? It was, he, he took God at his word. God didn't tell him where he was going to go, where he was going to send him. He took him at his word, and he just went. And so as we, as we think about the complexity of this guy, Abram slash Abraham, and all that he's about to go through, um, I want, this is what I want you guys to walk away with, that no human sensibility or worldly obstacle can stand in the way of God fulfilling a promise he has made. There's nothing that can get in the way of God fulfilling one of his promises. And again, those three big thoughts for today, go, wait, give. God picked up Abraham from where he was, Abram, sorry, this is still Abram, and he left. He left that which he thought was most important to him, his surroundings that were comfortable, um, and he just, he went, he did it. When my kids were, were young, preschoolers, they had a children's Bible, and I loved the way they captured the story. It, simply, it was just two sentences. God told Abraham to go. Abraham went. No pro-con list, no hemming and hawing, no seeking advice from other people, no, excuse me, what, what was that? Not, he just did it. He just up and went. And that's one of those pieces where you look at Abraham and say, oh, I get it. That's why he's a hero of the faith. That, that's, that's what he did. That's pretty cool. Um, but it was not just the going. It was the why he went. So let's think about this for a second. Is God calling you to go somewhere? Where is he calling you to go? And I think it is very possible, based on my personal experience and the experience of those around me, that he could be calling us, one of us, to pick up and go, right? Maybe, I don't know, to Arkansas and back. I don't know, to Alabama, North Carolina, Virginia, Pennsylvania, Kenya, right? Pick up and go. I think the other thing that God might call you to, call me to, is to go to a person. Maybe there's somebody that, um, that you've wronged and you need to go say, I'm sorry. Maybe there's somebody that's wronged you and you need to go to them and say, hey man, when you did X, Y, and Z, that, that, was, that was not good. Maybe, maybe, like on the flip side, on the positive side of things, Maybe there's a person that God wants to use you to be a conduit of his grace and his blessing and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness, and he needs you to go to that person and meet them 
where they're at. Whether it's a place or a person, Scripture puts the responsibility on us. I find this really interesting as you read through the Gospels, especially Jesus' words. If you're wronged, you are the one who's supposed to go and confront the person. If, um, if you've been wronged, or if you're the one who does the wrongdoing, Jesus says go. If you're at the, you go to, to make an offering and you remember that you have caused somebody to sin, you go. Try to patch things up with them, and then you come back and give your offering. The relationship is more important than the, the offering. And it's on us to go to people, to meet them where they're at, just like the example that Jesus said. He leaves the 99 and goes, goes to the one. Go to a place, go to a person. Um, God asked Abraham to wait. Right? Abraham was... Um, they, so having kids back in the day was, was everything. Was everything. You couldn't carry on the line, and they all sorts of cultural traditions to help you carry on the line if for whatever reason, you could not have children biologically, right? In that promise that God made to Abraham, he promised him land, he promised him blessings, and he promised him descendants. Not just a kid, but descendants, nations, right? And that through all that, the world would be blessed by him. When God made that initial promise to Abraham, he was, he was 70 years old, right? He was 70 years old. So as we track through those passages from Genesis 12 through Genesis 22, I, I struggled with how to best communicate all this information, so I thought maybe a timeline would, would be most helpful. Um, God had this personal relationship with Abraham. They would talk, and, and God would share these things with him that he was going to do, that he wanted to do through him. So at the age of 75, God and Abraham have this another, another conversation where God reiterates this covenant, this promise. Remember when we talked about Noah, that promise that God made was the Noahide, the Noahic covenant. It's a promise that God made. He makes a promise to Abraham. And this time it's sealed with the ceremony. And in that chapter 15, it's captured in great detail. And the, the high level view of it, of it is that just like the covenant with Noah is that God is the one on the hook. The way the ceremony is enacted and what happens, Abraham falls asleep during the ceremony. God puts him to sleep and God does all the work. Everything about that promise is on God to make the promise and to fulfill it. So he tells him you're going to have lots of descendants, lots of descendants. They're waiting. Abraham and his wife Sarai are waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. They wait, what is that, 16 years from the original promise. And maybe 16 years was their breaking point. And a cultural tradition at that point was um, if the, the couple couldn't get pregnant, it was culturally acceptable for the husband to take one of the wife's maidservants as a surrogate and to have a child that way. Sarah, I said, look, I want you, I want our family line to continue. Take my, my servant, Hagar, and, and have a child. Abraham, Abraham did, and she got pregnant, and Ishmael was born. Control issue, right? They, they were waiting. They were waiting on God. They were waiting. Things weren't going the way they thought they should be going. God made a promise. They had a timeline in mind, and God wasn't operating on their timeline. So they took matters into their own hands. And as you read through the story, it doesn't, it's, 
it creates all sorts of family tension and drama, as you could only imagine um, would in that case. All right, so we're, we are now 29 years past the point when God made the original promise. 29 years. 29 years. That's older than some of you. Um, that's half of some of your lifetimes. It's a long time to wait 29 years for something. God restates his covenant. This time, he changes, he marks it with, by changing Abraham, Abram and Sarai's name. Abram becomes Abraham, which means the father of many nations. The father of many nations. So God is like doubling down on this promise that he's made. And he also adds this command that all of Abraham's family and descendants, all of his servants, that they would be circumcised. And circumcision is a, um, it's a symbolic act that says these people, God is asking these people to separate themselves and that these people are dependent upon God for their, their fertility and their future. It's a symbolic act that symbolizes these people as God's people. All right, 99 years old, 29 years later. A little bit, still 99 years old. God tells Abraham and Sarah that within a year, they're going to have, they're going to have a son. Um, and they're, they're, still, they're still waiting, still waiting, still waiting. Uh, what I didn't mention was when, they, when God called Abraham to leave originally, like I said, he went, things started out great. There was a famine, so they hold up in Egypt for a little bit. Uh, Abraham was worried that the Egyptian men were going to take his wife because she was beautiful, and they were going to kill him. So he says, listen, Sarah, tell everybody that you're my sister, and that way they won't kill me. So that's what they do. They still end up taking Sarah, but Abraham saves his own neck. God has to intervene, protect Sarah. She, nothing happens to Sarah, and he keeps his plan moving forward. Fast forward again. Now we're up here again, and there's another interaction. It's the same exact lie. Abraham tells the same exact lie. He asks Sarah to say he's his sister again to protect him, and he does the same thing again. So this whole deal, you guys, none of this, none of this is dependent upon Abraham necessarily doing the right thing, right? He screws up along the way because things aren't going his way. He's afraid, so he steps in, and he tries to take control of the situation. You track him with this up and down, this up and down, this up and down. Finally, finally, Isaac um, is born when Abram is 100 years old, 30 years, right? Finally, Sarah has a baby. Sarah has a baby. I, um, I don't know if you guys have ever had to, had to wait for anything, right? I, it was, I remember very clearly when I first felt called to full-time ministry. I was like 21 years old, and I approached um, the guy who was my mentor at the time, and who was kind of the gatekeeper to the process because I, I was involved in a mainline denominational church, so it all had to go through the, through the right channels. And I went to him, and I said, I, um, I feel like I, I God is calling me into ministry. I want to go to, I want to go to seminary. And he said, no, you're not ready. And he said, you need to get your ducks in a row. And he was primarily talking about my undergrad loans, that I was in no financial position to take on more debt, and seminary was going to be a big, a big financial debt. I was ticked. I was mad. I was mad. But I was like, okay. Like, I, I trusted him. He had earned my trust. Um, 
so we, we continue along. And the church where I was volunteering, there was a youth, the youth pastor left. He went to take a lead pastor job. So his job was open. I'm like, look, I understand the whole student loan thing. How about, like, I, I think I could do that youth pastor job. He said, no. He said, you're not ready. He said, keep, keep doing what you're doing. You're learning. You're growing. Take care of that debt. So I did what any good aspiring seminary full-time ministry person would do. I went and I got a corporate job selling toilet paper. Um, it was 10 years. It was 10 years before I would accept my full-time ministry position at Crossroads as a youth pastor. And in those 10 years, God ground down and chiseled off a lot of rough edges. And he helped Gail and I take care of that debt. And he got us ready. He prepared us for... We were, I, was, I, I, was, I was young and foolish when I took that youth, that youth pastor job, that first job here at Crossroads. Um, but I had grown so much in those 10 years and God had done so much in my life. Um, he also, I think, saved me from a lot of the chaos that this particular denomination is living through right now at this moment and kept me from, from going down that road. So I don't know what it is that you are waiting on, right? Maybe, um, maybe it's a dream job. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's just like Abraham and Sarah and you're waiting on God to help you start a family or grow a family. Maybe it's a relationship. I don't, I don't know, right? But there's a, the scripture is filled with verses that talk to us about the encouragement that we can take when we're waiting on God, when we wait on God. Um, this is Isaiah uh, 41, 31. Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. Sorry, 40, 31, 40, 31. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. The Lord, this is Lamentations uh, 3.25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. Right? So there's strength and there's goodness to be found in waiting for God. Go, wait, give up is seen. And it's seen in Abraham and it's seen in Jesus. Right? God doesn't ask us all the same, go, wait, give up. Now, I would be remiss, and I would not. Um, there are some of you who God is asking you to give something up. And I don't know, I don't know what it is, right? Uh, a habit, a hobby, a relationship, the hope for a relationship. Um, maybe you're, it's a transition of season of life from one season to the other, and you're going kicking and screaming into the next season, and you don't want to go. Whatever. It might be, right? I would ask you to consider that in what God is asking you to give up, maybe he's got something better he's going to replace it with. Maybe that thing that he's asking you to give up is blocking you from experiencing him in all of his glory and goodness. Maybe like with Abraham, he's asking you for something and he's going to give it back to you and he's going to bless it and he's going to use it to bless a lot of other people. Go, wait, give. We see Abraham, he did it, he struggled through it, he bumbled, he fumbled, he made mistakes. But in the end, 
he accepted as certain the promises that God had made. He trusted God. We also see in Jesus, in, in Abraham and in Isaac, we see the precursor. In Jesus, we see the perfect go, wait, and give. Jesus left eternity. He left heaven, and he came, and he walked as one of us, with us, for us, and he lived, and he died he was born and he waited 30 years before he made himself known. He waited. He waited on God. And in God's timing, God the Father's timing, he made himself known. And then in the, when everything was in the right place, he gave up everything. Jesus is the perfect go, wait, and give. Those are big, hard things. They were hard for Abraham they're hard for us. Abraham is just a person, just like us. I want to leave you with this one, this one last thought, right? The very first verses that we read ended with, and the whole world, the whole world will be blessed through you. There is a very real possibility that God wants to bless somebody, not just one person, maybe many people, through your go, wait, and give. God wants to bless somebody through your willingness to go where God calls you, to wait on him, and maybe to give something up for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the perfect example of go, wait, and give. Um, thank you that you give us examples in your word of, of people who make mistakes but who trust in you. God, would you give us the courage to trust in you? Would you give us the courage to go when you call us? Would you give us the patience to wait on you with our eyes fixed on you? God, for those of us who are hurting right now and have lost something, someone, we ask that you would meet us right where we are, God, and build us up and help us take those steps of faith. And God, for those of us who you are calling to give something up, God, identify it for us and give us the courage to let go of it and trusting it into your hands. In your name, Jesus, amen.